Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. With several Twitter files installments now released, the FBI is striking back. The agency says conspiracy theorists are discrediting its reputation. Florida's Attorney General says ICE lost track of tens of thousands of illegal immigrants. Meanwhile, the Texas National Guard is securing gaps at the border in the Rio Grande area to redirect migrants to a legal point of entry. A two-day trial is underway for Kerry Lake's election lawsuit. The Arizona governor candidate cited issues with ballot printers that allegedly changed the election results. States from the East Coast to the Rockies feeling the bite of winter. We have more on the cold streak before Christmas that could make holiday travel more difficult. Experts calling China's sudden U-turn on virus policy a wild card for the globe. How will China's current COVID-19 outbreak play out on the global stage? The FBI responded to the Twitter files releases that appear to show the FBI having worked closely with the social media company. They allege that conspiracy theorists are trying to discredit the Bureau. Entity's Daniel Monahan has more. The agency writes that the correspondence between the FBI and Twitter show nothing more than traditional and long-standing federal government and private sector engagements. The FBI statement did not elaborate on who it considers conspiracy theorists. Since early December, Musk has released files to several independent journalists. At a Senate committee hearing in November, Senator Rand Paul asked FBI Director Christopher Wray whether Facebook or any other social media company is supplying them with private messages or data on American users that is not compelled by the government or the FBI. After a long pause, Wray responded. Um. Not compelled. In other words, not in response to legal process. Is no warrant, no subpoena. They're just supplying you information on their users. Uh, I don't believe so, but uh, but I can't sit here and, and be sure of that as I as I sit here. Paul continued to press Ray on whether the FBI gets tips and leads from social media companies that includes private messages. However, Ray refused to give a direct answer. But many of us are alarmed that you're getting this information that are private communications between people because it is against the law. This week, independent journalist Michael Schellenberger posted messages showing the FBI allegedly working to discredit the Hunter Biden report and preventing people from spreading it via the social media platform. And another post revealed Twitter was evaluating and processing a lot of tweets that were flagged by the FBI for possible violative content. This includes a post critical of then-Governor Andrew Cuomo's comment about vaccine mandates. Other installments showed the FBI was constantly communicating with Twitter staffers and had a communications channel between agents and employees set up. Meanwhile, Elon Musk indicated that he would support a congressional investigation into the FBI's alleged efforts to censor social media users. Musk shared a tweet by PayPal COO David Sachs. The post suggested the creation of a new commission to investigate the alleged censorship initiatives of the FBI and intelligence community. Musk responded to the post with the comment, Hear, hear. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Florida's Attorney General says ICE lost track of 150,000 illegal immigrants. The AG says that's because border officials stopped issuing formal charging documents for immigrants last year. Florida's Attorney General Ashley Moody has revealed new video evidence that shows officials from the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, lost track of 150,000 immigrants who had entered the United States illegally. 
In March 2021, border officials began releasing illegal immigrants without issuing formal charging documents, which would require them to appear before a federal immigration judge. Half a year later, the Biden administration implemented Operation Horizon to locate over 150,000 immigrants so that they can send official charging documents by mail. However, Attorney General Moody on Tuesday released ICE training videos, which were recorded between November 2021 and February 2022. They allegedly show that officials were quite restricted in their ability to locate and remove illegal immigrants as they lacked identifying information. An official in one of the training videos says, Operation Horizon, the background on this, you know, over the summer, we had well over 150,000 folks come in. They were issued a piece of paper that said, find somebody in ICE, and that was pretty much it. There was no processing. I know this isn't something that you guys asked for, and I can assure you that no one in the criminal alien program asked for it either. Meanwhile, Republican Representative Tony Gonzalez on Wednesday commented on this video of a processing facility on the U.S.-Mexico border, which he sent to Fox News. The congressman said, I'd been to that processing center many times, but I've never seen it that bad. And Texas National Guard members deployed by the state to El Paso used razor wire on Tuesday to secure a gap in the border fence along a bank of the Rio Grande. The spot has become a popular crossing point for immigrants illegally crossing into the U.S. So as you can see here, basically, we've secured the border using the use of uh, Humvees, uh, concertina wire um, and soldiers. Uh, basically, what we're doing here is we're basically just redirecting the migrants to the only legal port of entry. Tens of thousands of immigrants at the border are waiting for the U.S. Supreme Court to decide whether and when to lift Title 42, which has prevented many of them from entering. In Maricopa County, a two-day trial is underway regarding the Arizona governor's race. Challenging the election results, GOP candidate Carrie Lake has to prove intentional interference flipped the vote. Carrie Lake lost the gubernatorial race to Democratic candidate Katie Hobbs. She is now challenging the election outcome, asking a judge to order a revote in Maricopa County. Her lawyers claim that the county's ballot printers at the polling stations were faulty and created ballots that were too light to be read by on-site counters. Lake's team called a cybersecurity expert as a witness. After inspecting 15 ballots, he said he saw evidence that these ballots were 19-inch documents printed on 20-inch paper. But the county's elections director, Scott Jarrett, said he doesn't believe it was an intentional act. We did not specifically test for that because in this specific election because none of the ballots on our ballot-on-demand printers had a 19-inch ballot. They all had a 20-inch ballot. So... I can answer a question about our testing related to the 20-inch ballot that was installed on all of our ballot-on-demand printers. County officials added that all ballots were counted. Those affected by the printers were sent to a more sophisticated counter at the Elections Department headquarters. Lake's team also alleged that the chain of custody of the ballots was broken at an off-site facility. They said workers at the facility put their own mail-in ballots in the pile instead of returning them through normal channels and papers documenting the pallet transfers were lost. The county disputed these claims. Maricopa County is home to more than 60% of Arizona voters. 
The House January 6th committee released 34 transcripts of witness testimony a day prior to the expected release of the panel's highly anticipated full report on its investigation. The transcripts are the first to be made public from among the roughly 1,000 interviews the panel conducted over the past 18 months. The collection of transcripts include testimonies of former Trump campaign lawyer John Eastman, InfoWars host Alex Jones, former Trump advisor Roger Stone, and more. During the interviews, most of the 34 witnesses did not answer questions during all or at least part of their testimony, instead opting to assert their Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. The panel did not explicitly state why it decided to release the transcripts of these 34 individuals prior to releasing the full report. The transcript's release comes the same day a group of five House Republicans published a separate counter-report that focuses on security failures at the Capitol during the breach. It blames U.S. Capitol Police leadership for misplaced priorities. Powerful winter storms are expected to make travel difficult for millions of Americans during the holidays. An Arctic blast hit a wide area in the U.S. yesterday. It brought bitter cold and wind chills to many parts of the nation. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on why you should be getting your soup and sweaters out if you haven't already. Freezing weather and sub-zero wind chills, cold enough to induce frostbite on exposed skin within minutes, is dominating much of the nation's forecast heading into the holiday weekend. The National Weather Service says around 200 million people in 48 states are under extreme weather alerts. Freezing air mass descending from the northern plains sent temperatures into a nosedive. Blizzard conditions stretch from the northern plains states to the Great Lakes region. The storm, fed by moisture, could dump up to a foot of snow on the upper Midwest between now and Friday. By Thursday night, a so-called bomb cyclone is expected to form as the strong Arctic front sweeps across the Great Lakes. It could drive temperatures to record-breaking lows on the Gulf Coast and the eastern United States by Friday. Heavy rains, strong winds, and coastal flooding are in store for parts of the Northeast on Thursday and Friday. Wind chill and hard freeze warnings extend through much of Texas, Louisiana, and Alabama. A hard freeze watch has been posted for the Florida Panhandle. Texas will have its power grid's new winterization measures put to the test. Hundreds died in February of 2021 after winter storms overburdened the state's grid and millions of customers lost power. Texas officials say they're confident the grid can handle increased demand. People are reminded to be prepared for power outages. Governors around the country are preparing for the bone-chilling temperatures. North Carolina and Kentucky have both declared a state of emergency. West Virginia issued a state of preparedness, and Colorado and Missouri activated the National Guard. Hardware stores are busy helping people stock up on weather-fighting supplies like shovels, rock salt, and windshield de-icer. The, the ice apocalypse is coming upon us tomorrow, <laughs> and uh, I want to do some of my neighbor's walkways. According to FlightAware, a flight tracking service, over 1,000 U.S. flights have been canceled as of Thursday morning. Many airlines are posting travel waivers to make changing or rebooking flights easier. You can check their websites for details. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. You can expect crowds if you're traveling during the holidays. The projected numbers are the biggest they've been in three years. AAA forecasts levels just shy of what they were before the pandemic. They estimate close to 113 million people will travel 50 miles or more from December 23rd to January 2nd. Air travel is expected to see a 14% increase over last year. 
Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky made his first wartime foreign visit to the U.S. Congress has already approved tens of billions of dollars of aid to help Ukraine fight the Russian invasion. Zelensky told Congress on Wednesday that the money was not charity, but an investment in global security. And a remarkable primetime address before a joint session of Congress. Ukraine is alive and kicking. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky expressing gratitude for ongoing support from the U.S. amid Russia's invasion, with a gift from the front lines. This flag is a symbol of our victory in this war. We stand, we fight, and we will win because we are united. Ukraine, America, and the entire free world. And reminding Americans the fight for democratic values is not Ukraine's alone. Ukrainian courage and American resolve must guarantee the future of our common freedom, the freedom of people who stand for their values. The momentous speech on the heels of an historic White House visit, where President Joe Biden committed to an additional $1.8 billion in security assistance, including a new Patriot surface-to-air missile defense system. The Patriot battery will be another critical asset for Ukraine as it defends itself against Russian aggression. Zelensky's visit comes as Russia mounts unrelenting attacks on Ukraine's critical infrastructure. Russia is using winter as a weapon, freezing people, starving people, cutting them off from one another. The leaders uniting in a symbolic rebuke of Russian President Vladimir Putin, with the hopes a continued alliance will ultimately turn the tide and bring an end to the war. We will stay with you for as long as it takes. Congresswoman Lauren Boebert was in D.C. last night for the visit of Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. She uploaded a video of her thoughts about his address on Twitter. It went viral and has already reached nearly a million people since yesterday evening. The people of Ukraine are suffering. The war is deadly and horrific, and the carnage has not stopped. Sadly, what I didn't hear tonight was a clear explanation of where the first $50 billion we sent to support their efforts went. Until Congress receives a full audit on where our money has already gone, I will not support sending additional money to this war. Representative Boebert continued with a comparison between Ukraine President Volodymyr Zelensky and U.S. President Joe Biden. She remarked that she understands that Zelensky is working to protect his country's borders and his people. However, she says it is her wish that the U.S. Commander-in-Chief do the same right here at home. She called on him to secure the U.S. southern border and to protect the people of the United States. The Kremlin says that U.S. supplies of Patriot missile systems to Ukraine will not contribute to settling the conflict between Moscow and Kyiv. The Kremlin also said the Patriot missiles will not prevent Russia from achieving its goals. The missile systems gift was announced during Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky's visit to Washington on Wednesday. A U.S. State Department spokesperson says the missile defense system can bring down approaching cruise missiles, short-range ballistic missiles, and aircraft. In a call with reporters, Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov said there had been no signs of readiness for peace talks during Zelensky's visit. He said this was evidence that the United States was fighting a proxy war with Russia, in his words, to the last Ukrainian. He says neither the U.S. nor Ukraine expressed any willingness to hear Russia's concerns. Peskov also said demilitarization was one of the aims Russia has in Ukraine and that the U.S. and other countries constantly giving Ukraine weapons doesn't contribute to peace. 
FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried is in the U.S. after being extradited from the Bahamas. He will face charges in a case called one of the biggest financial frauds in American history. A plane reportedly carrying Bankman-Fried was seen leaving the Bahamas before arriving in Westchester, New York, close to midnight Wednesday. While that flight was midair, U.S. Attorney Damian Williams said that Bankman-Fried was in FBI custody and that two of his former associates pled guilty to fraud charges. I'm announcing that the Southern District of New York has filed charges against Caroline Ellison, the former CEO of Alameda Research, and Gary Wong, a co-founder of FTX, in connection with their roles in the frauds that contributed to FTX's collapse. Let me reiterate a call that I made last week. If you participated in misconduct at FTX or Alameda, now is the time to get ahead of it. We are moving quickly and our patience is not eternal. Bankman-Fried's departure came after he was arrested last week on a U.S. extradition request in the Bahamas. That's where Bankman-Fried lives and where FTX is based. Federal prosecutors in Manhattan have charged him with stealing billions of dollars in FTX customer assets to offset losses at his hedge fund. Bankman-Fried has acknowledged risk management failures at FTX, but has said he does not believe he has criminal liability. And coming up, fired for her stance protecting the unborn, but now she is reveling in her gift from a federal judge. We hear from flight attendant Charlene Carter on what it's like finally having her job back and what she says Americans can do to protect religious freedom around the globe. And high school extracurricular activities help nurture students' passions. A Chicago high school's program does more than that. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. A legal roller coaster ends in relief for a Colorado employee. She was fired from a major airline after she expressed views opposing her union's pro-abortion stance. She became a vocal opponent of abortion after terminating a pregnancy when she was 19, leaving her with long-term physical and emotional damage. We get an update on how she's doing now. Joining me now is Charlene Carter, a Southwest Airlines flight attendant. It's great to have you on the show today, Charlene. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yes, and Charlene, Christmas is just three days away, and you have recently been reinstated to your job at Southwest. How does that feel? Oh, my gosh, it's the best Christmas present ever. Um, I'm really excited about getting back to working with my cohorts. Um, that's what we called each other here at Southwest Airlines. Um, it's my... You know, I'll be in my 27th year at Southwest, so it's, you know, I, I obviously I love it. I love the passengers. I love flying. I love everything about, you know, um, the industry. So I'm really excited. This is the best Christmas present ever. That's just wonderful. And you mentioned you love flying. What is it about flying and being a flight attendant that brings you so much joy, especially seeing everyone travel over the holidays? Well, you know, you get a chance to really travel, obviously, throughout the country, and you get to meet so many different amazing people. There's really a lot of good out there, um, and it's just, it's it's interesting that it's a small world. Like, I have flown on several flights in the past where there's a connection that somebody knows a neighbor or somebody's worked with somebody. It, it's truly a small community out there in this world, and it's really a wonderful way to connect and then obviously you're getting to see people usually go to see family members or, you know, something exciting. You know, most times it's an exciting adventure for people on the airplane. So it's, it's, it's really neat. 
That's wonderful. And in the aviation age, the world has gotten a lot smaller. Now, Charlene, over five years of legal battles, that's a long time. And yours is a big win for religious liberty. Can you tell us your thoughts on this, whether it's your feelings towards the airline or how you regard being able to keep your religious beliefs as well as your job? Well, I'm really excited about the fact that I get to keep my job, <clears throat> for one. I think everybody should have the freedom to speak um, on their religious beliefs. Uh, for me, it, I'm a Christian, and I believe in saving babies from abortion. And unfortunately, that's what, you know, got me fired. But I think you should have that, you know, liberty to be able to speak about that, especially on your own time. Um, I forgive the airline and I forgive um, the union for, you know, going through this process. It, yeah, it's been a long battle, but I've had a wonderful uh, team of attorneys through the National Right to Work Foundation that really, really, truly fight for um, especially union uh, members' freedoms of speech. That's so. That's really great that you have this forgiveness in you right now in this holiday time. Now, when we zoom out to an international scale, a U.S. commission says autocratic nations, especially in the Middle East, are only pretending to embrace religious freedom just so they can avoid sanctions. As a winner in your battle for your right to believe, do you see any hope for other people in similar situations more broadly? You know, I think that, yes, I think that if we would all stand up and actually fight for them as well, I mean, I think that there's, there's, there's avenues that maybe, you know, obviously we uh, are all connected with the internet and, you know, hopefully they are able to see some of the fights that are going on right now or, or battles, I should say, within our, you know, country about freedoms and so forth and that they would take those things and see those things and absolutely, you know, fight for those same freedoms in their own country. You know, I hope that, that the only problem is, is that they ha are usually under a very, you know, tyrannical type um, regime, which like Iran, um, here in our country, you know, we have the constitution and, you know, we, we have to protect that here in this country. And I think if we stand up and do it and they can see that, hopefully that there'll be more people, you know, over in these countries that will see that and stand up for their freedoms. That's a great call to action. And you're a pro-life Christian and your story is one of resilience in the face of adversity. What advice do you have for Americans as we head into the new year? Uh, just embrace this season. Um, this season is just, you know, we're, we're supposed to, you know, this is Christmas is Christ. Okay. For me. And it means that you're bringing in a whole new, you know, perspective for the new year for me and, um, you know, celebrate the birth of, you know, who really gave us freedom. And that is you know, Jesus. It's just wonderful hearing an update from you. Charlene Carter, Southwest Airlines flight attendant. Thank you so much for making the time today. Thank you. A Texas judge has ruled against a federal program that enabled minors to obtain birth control from physicians without informing their parents. According to the ruling, a secrecy rule violated a Texas family code section that gives parents the right to decide their child's medical care, as well as parents' 14th Amendment right to control and direct the upbringing of their minor children. An attorney filed the lawsuit on behalf of a Texas father of three who wants to raise his daughters according to his Christian faith's teachings on abstinence. The judge used to work as a religious liberty lawyer who assisted in cases seeking to repeal contraceptive protections. The statewide organization Everybody Texas administered the program allowing minors access to birth control. It says thousands of teens under the age of 18 access the services of its funded clinics yearly, many with the consent and knowledge of their parent or guardian. 
Walmart has reached settlement agreements with all 50 states as part of a $3.1 billion nationwide opioid settlement. Multiple states' attorneys general accused the retail giant of failing to regulate opioid prescriptions and thereby contributing to the nationwide opioid crisis. The settlement will also include broad court-ordered requirements Walmart must comply with, such as robust oversight to prevent fraudulent prescriptions and to flag suspicious prescriptions. Walmart said the settlements will provide significant aid to communities across the country in the fight against the opioid crisis. The company added it strongly disputes the allegations and that the settlements did not include any admission of liability. Many high school students participate in STEM programs to gain hands-on experience, but a group of students at a Chicago high school is getting more than experience. They're getting a foot in the door of an emerging industry. Let's take a look. Ajane Lurie flies and flips a drone skillfully with her phone. She's a senior and a member of Chicago's Corliss High School's commercial drone license program. It's the first of its kind in high schools in the country. The program teaches students about drone flying and the knowledge to obtain an FAA commercial drone license. Instructor Brandon Parks says teaching commercial drone flying is no small feat. Teaching the kids that who have never even driven a car for some of those students read a road map or had to read a road map, especially when you have Google Maps, you know, it was is very difficult. Reading a sectional chart or a road map for the sky is the key to flying a drone legally and safely. For the untrained eyes, geographical and man-made obstacles and flying boundaries on the chart are hard to understand. Vincent Smith enjoys flying a drone but says the study process was grueling. I'm not good with directions, so the sectional charts was terrible. To simplify learning, Mr. Park created a runway in the classroom and had the students act like a drone to understand flying a drone in wind conditions and obstacles. Once we did that, things start falling into place. The program has produced five students with commercial licenses in fewer than two years since its inception. That's one out of three students who participated in the program. Ajane Lurie already has plans for her commercial drone license. I want to use my drone license just to make more money commercially while in college. Jonathan Turner wants to major in computer engineering, artificial intelligence, and drones. He sees the benefit of combining the technologies. So I want to use those majors and the drones to further develop technology. It took Ivory Nola Scott two attempts to pass the license test, but the first failure taught him an invaluable lesson. When I failed the test by one question, I was devastated. I came outside to my fellow colleagues and I devastated them. Their confidence plummeted because I was the first one to go and I had failed by that close. I had to regather myself, find the will within myself and go at it again. You had to find a way around the hospital because there's prosperity on the other side. According to Precedence Research, the global commercial drone market will grow from $24 billion in 2022 to $504 billion by 2030. Corliss's drone program is at the forefront of building a talent pipeline for the huge market. We know that the tech industry is growing. There are jobs out there that we don't even know about yet. We're positioning our, our students right where they would be able to really be part of the shaping the industry to come. The program also teaches maintenance and repair of drones so that the students are well-rounded. The program is expected to more than double in the coming year. Reporting by Angela Moy, Chicago. 
The Air Force has temporarily grounded its fleet of nuclear-capable B-2 Spirit bombers. That's after an in-flight malfunction earlier this month. On December 10th, a B-2 had to make an emergency landing and was damaged on the runway at Whiteman Air Force Base in Missouri. No one was hurt and there were no munitions on the aircraft. Officials say the bombers can still be flown if the president orders it to fulfill mission requirements. It's not yet clear how long the fleet will be grounded. NASA is ending one of its missions on Mars. The space agency's InSight Lander's mission has come to an end. Mission managers declared its ending Wednesday after the stationary lander failed to respond to mission control. InSight first landed on Mars in 2018. It spent nearly 1,500 days on the surface and made groundbreaking discoveries about the red planet's mysterious interior. The lander was designed only to last for two years, but it actually lasted four. Scientists believe dust accumulated on the lander's solar panels, which caused a decline in its power source. And just ahead, fever drugs are out of stock in China. A U-turn in the country's COVID-19 policy catches drug makers off guard. And a serial killer known as the Serpent is to be released in Nepal. He is the murderer of over 20 tourists, including a U.S. citizen. We'll have the details soon when we return. Welcome back. The COVID outbreak in China is spiraling out of control. The healthcare system is overwhelmed and mortuaries are working around the clock. Here's NTD's Tiffany Meyer. Is now the right time to declare the end of the COVID-19 pandemic's emergency phase? Several leading experts say no because of China. The world's second largest economy is seeing a spike in infections after dismantling its zero COVID-19 policy earlier this month. Projections have suggested China could face more than 2 million deaths. This, as most countries have their major surges already behind them and have removed their COVID-19 restrictions. But Marian Kupmans, a virologist with the World Health Organization, is hesitating to call today's situation post-pandemic. That's when, quote, such a significant part of the world is actually just entering its second wave. She labeled the pending wave in China as a wild card. The Chinese Communist Party's sudden switch from one extreme to another contributed to those concerns. Weeks ago, authorities in some Chinese cities were still strictly confining people to their homes to stop the virus from spreading. Now, those blocks are dissolved. It appears to be an effort towards learning to live with the virus in low numbers, like many other countries are doing. But now, Chinese citizens with fever symptoms who go to hospitals find out that the hospital staff are up the same ailments. Those that can't get hospital treatment are turning to pharmacies to stock up on medicines. But nationwide shortages are leaving shelves empty. In outside funeral homes, hearses have been seen waiting in long lines. As the situation escalates, more and more factories are moving out of China. And foreign investors are waiting for the infection wave to pass. Those who believe the world economy can avoid the hardest of landings next year are watching China closely. Questions remain over whether China's loosening pandemic restrictions will help the economy in the long term or send it spiraling. 
COVID-19 is ripping through China and millions are struggling to find treatment. Across many Chinese cities, pharmacies have sold out of fever and cold medicines. What's causing all this chaos? Let's zoom in. Part of the reason is Beijing's sounding U-turn in virus policy, catching many drug makers off guard. They were unprepared for the current surge of demand. After receiving no notice about stockpiling drugs before the relaxation of COVID-19 rules. But even before the policy pivot, stockpiles of fever medicines have already been lulling China. For nearly three years, Beijing strictly controlled cold medication sales. They aimed at preventing buyers from using over-the-counter drugs to reduce fevers and avoid detection. According to a Chinese drug manufacturer, pharmacies saw very low sales as a result, and many went bankrupt. Also contributing to the shortage is a lack of workers throughout the entire supply chain. Local drug makers say they're ramping up production, but many of their sales employees got infected with COVID-19. And logistics, blaming the lack of people for slow shipping rates of drug ingredients. As of now, local authorities have sent guards to drug factories to take over medicine stocks. China is a major exporter of an ingredient used for ibuprofen. It accounts one-third of the global production capacity, meaning the shortage fever drugs there is sparking a global run on medicines. The impact is being seen in the U.S. and Canada over shortages in children's painkillers. In China, the situation has seen a six-month-old baby sickened with a fever of 104 degrees Fahrenheit without medicine to help. Prices for kids' ibuprofen have increased nearly 60-fold, from around $5 to over 280. On Wednesday, Beijing said the country's medicine supply could, quote, generally meet demand. Australian federal police say they've taken a man known as Asia's El Chapo into custody after he was extradited from the Netherlands. He is accused of running a global drug trafficking syndicate. Authorities say the arrest is the result of a long-running investigation into an organized crime syndicate known as Sam Gore, or the company. It says the organization trafficked methamphetamine worth millions of dollars into Australia. The Australian Federal Police did not identify the person arrested by name and do not typically disclose the names of arrested individuals before trial. A person familiar with the case said the man arrested was a Canadian citizen named Sochi Lop. He faces a maximum sentence of life in prison. A second man was arrested in June in connection with the case. Nepal is set to free a notorious serial killer who once murdered a U.S. citizen. The country's Supreme Court ordered his release and deportation yesterday. Charles Sobrage is a French citizen best known by his nickname, The Serpent. In the 1970s and 80s, he committed a string of murders across Asia. Victims were up to 20 young backpackers from Western nations, including an American citizen. Sobraj carried out the killings by drugging their food or drinks. In the mid-1980s, while he was serving a 21-year sentence in India, he managed to break out of prison. He was later caught and held in the same jail until 1997. Sobraj went back to France after he was released from India. He was again arrested in 2003 at a casino in Kathmandu, the capital of Nepal, and he has been jailed there ever since. In 2021, the BBC and Netflix co-produced a TV series featuring his crimes titled The Serpent. 
And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And coming up, Russia is looking to the east to sell its oil. This as Europe gives Putin the cold shoulder due to the war in Ukraine. In the UK, thousands of ambulance staff stage a one-day strike as the blame game between the health secretary and union bosses escalates. More shortly, here on NTD News Today. Russian President Vladimir Putin oversaw the launch of a major new Siberian gas field on Wednesday. It aims to drive a planned surge in supply to China. The gas field will feed into the Power of Siberia pipeline carrying Russian gas to China. It has recoverable reserves of nearly 70 trillion cubic feet and is the largest in eastern Russia. The launch is part of Russia's strategy to shift gas exports to the east. This comes as the European Union cuts reliance on Russian energy in response to the war in Ukraine. Putin hailed the launch as a significant event for Russia's energy industry and the whole economy. He joined a video link to workers at the site and gave the order, start work, to inaugurate the project. Healthcare labor disputes continue to plague the UK. Thousands of ambulance workers walked off the job yesterday in a dispute over pay. It was the first of two planned strikes. This report comes from NTD's Malcolm Hudson. Ambulance workers in England and Wales, including paramedics and call handlers, are striking over pay. Thousands across the country are calling for a raise. Health Secretary Steve Barclay said the health service currently is very burdened. So this is a point when the system is already facing very significant pressure. That's the point at which the trade unions have chosen to take industrial action. And in doing so, they haven't been willing to work with us to agree national exemptions in terms of covering all of the Category 1, Category 2 life-threatening and emergency calls. Barclay said that trade unions are responsible for any deaths that happen due to the strikes. But the leader of the GMB union, Rachel Harrison, said ambulance staff feel prevented from working on a day-to-day basis. So it's really insulting that the Secretary of State has said that. They've not taken the decision to take strike action lightly. They feel they've been forced into this position because year after year, the government have failed to listen to them. The GMB union is calling for a significant increase in pay and for a commitment to restore what they call a decade of lost earnings. In essence, they want a raise to date back 10 years. The strikes also involve members of two other unions, Unite and Unison. A member of the Welsh Ambulance Service explained the situation many staff are facing. If an average member of staff doesn't get remunerated at a decent rate, then they can't afford decent food. If they can't afford decent food, if they're going to food banks, if they're eating poor food, it's going to impact on their health and well-being. It then results in absenteeism or finishing the job entirely, which impacts on the general public. And that's the sort of point we've gotten to now. Following calls from the government, demand for ambulances seems to have fallen. The number of people phoning 999 appears to have dropped in parts of England. Some ambulance trusts report receiving fewer calls, with the West Midlands Ambulance Trust thanking people for heeding their advice to only call in an emergency. While other trusts have said their A&E is full and ask people not to attend unless the emergency is life-threatening. 
Around 750 Armed Forces staff were drafted in England to help cover the staff shortfall. NHS leaders have warned the fallout from strike action this week is likely to spill over into the coming days. Malcolm Hudson, NTD News, London. Members of the British military helped plug gaps in the healthcare system on Wednesday. The Army has been put on standby to help drive and direct emergency vehicles. However, soldiers do not have all the powers that ambulance staff have to respond or provide clinical care. Former Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says he has secured a deal to form a new government. That's after weeks of tough negotiations with religious and conservative coalition partners. Netanyahu's conservative Likud and like-minded religious nationalist parties won a majority in a November 1st election, promising him 64 of Parliament's 120 seats. But agreement to form a government was held up by disputes over proposed legislation on issues ranging from planning authority in the West Bank to ministerial control over the police. Netanyahu must now present the new government within a week. It will take office after a year that has seen the worst levels of violence in the West Bank in more than a decade. A stable government would be a departure from a period that saw Israelis go into the polls five times in less than four years. And just ahead, Santa Claus and his elves are busy making last-minute preparations for Christmas. They wrap gifts, perform training runs with reindeer, and finalize naughty or nice lists. Churches in Berlin are helping visitors beat the winter chill. That's amid heating cuts and soaring energy prices in Germany. Stay tuned for more on that when we return. Good to have you back with us. Despite the ongoing war, there's still some joy and Christmas spirit in Ukraine. This week, police brought holiday gifts to children in the eastern part of the country. A police unit visited two villages in the Donetsk region. Most of the houses there were emptied out as civilians fled the region, but some families with children decided to stay. A man in a St. Nicholas costume led the celebration. Police handed out gift boxes to kids and teens with sweets, toys, sportswear, and first aid kits inside. The legend of St. Nicholas in Ukraine is similar to that of Santa Claus. On this day, well-behaved children are rewarded with gifts hidden under their pillows and in their shoes. Ukrainians consider St. Nicholas the guardian of children, soldiers, and travelers. And on the other side of the border, in the Belgorod region of southern Russia, close to Ukraine, Grandfather Frost was spotted visiting Russian soldiers. This iconic figure is the Russian version of Santa Claus. Footage shows a costumed man standing on an armored personnel carrier waving to people. He then trekked through a snowy forest to take a bag of oranges to a group of uniformed men. Calling these soldiers defenders, the man said the oranges should remind them to spend the new year at home with their families. Like some other areas of southern Russia and Belgorod, fuel and ammunition depots have remained targets of bombing. December is always the busiest time of the year for Santa Claus and his elves. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details on their work in Finland's northern region of Lapland as they prepare to deliver gifts across the globe. Children from all over the world are writing letters to Santa Claus. They want to let Santa know why they deserve to be on the nice list rather than the naughty one. Snuggles is the head elf at Santa's Lapland. 
She says if you've been naughty, there's still time to get into Santa's good graces. It's never too late. If you're a bit worried, you can always be on your best behaviour because we don't put the finishing touches to the lists until the Christmas Eve. <laughs> One of the elves' main jobs is to prepare the reindeer for their journey around the world. We need to make sure that the reindeers are properly groomed and in fit flying condition. Santa does take them on practice trips around, so at night time, have a look outside and if you see a flash through the sky, it's him on one of his training runs. <laughs> After a tough couple of years because of the pandemic, Santa's Lapland is back to full capacity. That means the elves are busier than ever. There is never a dull day as alive as an elf. We have to wrap the presents, fix the old ones, make sure that the reindeer are in fit flying condition, and obviously we need to check up on the good list. <laughs> Santa's Lapland is situated in the far north of Finland, more than 120 miles above the Arctic Circle. Here, families get to meet Santa and his energetic elves. There's also a range of activities, including reindeer rides, sledding with huskies, and hockey. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Driven by the war and inflation, heating bills in Germany have shot up to record highs. The shock is rippling through churches in Berlin, forcing some to switch off the heating completely. But that hasn't stopped warmth from spreading in the nave. With energy running tight, German churches are either turning off the heat or keeping the temperature lower than 50 degrees Fahrenheit. Berlin's Martha Church congregation is offering blankets and cushions to ward off the biting cold. Currently between 54 and 57 degrees Fahrenheit and before we had a heated seat cushion, we had 59 degrees during the week and 63 degrees on Sunday. But we're trying it out. We will see how much works. And we have now ordered additional wool blankets. So the idea is a room temperature, maybe of 54 degrees. Tea and coffee also keep worshippers warm. Most of them still wore heavy winter coats and gloves during the service. I think it has to be simply out of the situation that we have to save energy altogether. And I think the church has to be a good role model, and I personally want it also. Churches aren't just responsible for the weekly mass. Both the evangelical and Catholic churches in Germany take in the homeless. This year, special attention is given to those who don't have enough heat. A charity provides daily visitors with warm drinks, hot soup, and a friendly smile. So many people in Berlin, but also elsewhere, have so little money that they turn off the heating in their apartment or only turn it on for a few hours at a time. And that's where it's particularly important that during the day, there are also places in this city where you can stay in the warmth. As temperatures stay low and costs rise, more people are expected to visit the shelter in the coming months. In the holy city of Jerusalem, Santa arrived in a different way to spread holiday cheer. He wasn't sitting on a reindeer sleigh, but on the back of a camel. A man in Santa's costume strolled through the streets of the old city, bringing joy and wishes to local residents. This white-bearded elf also handed out trees offered by the city's government. The tradition in Jerusalem has been going on for several years. This year, Santa was also accompanied by U.S. Ambassador to Israel, Thomas Nides, and he called for peace on earth. Jerusalem is a holy site for Muslims, Jews, and Christians, and tens of thousands of pilgrims visit each year. Israel's tourism ministry says they expect hundreds of thousands of tourists to flock in this year following a two-year shutdown over COVID-19. 
And just ahead, Hollywood celebrates named the best Christmas present they've ever given. Who is the master of gift giving? And Tom Cruise rode his motorcycle to a new height, pulling off an amazing stunt for the upcoming Mission Impossible film. We right whack with the story here on NTD News. What's the best Christmas gift? For those stuck choosing the right present, Hollywood's A-listers probably know how to nail it. Let's find out who's the top gift giver. What makes an impressive gift? It depends on who you ask. For a star like Jeremy Sisto, money isn't an object. My wife is into horses, so I got her a horse. She was very excited and she cried. And it was a dream come true. It has to be books, probably something by um, Nicholson Baker or by uh, Elizabeth McCracken. I give a lot of books as presents. Or, of course, Moby Dick. Sometimes, gift gurus favor handcrafted items for their dearest ones. Given my wife some, some nice pieces of art, yeah, so it's probably the, probably the best. Gosh, um, a notebook filled with poems that I'd written for somebody. I think honestly it was last year, and I was just talking about this today that I'm not going to be able to match last year's gifts because I had everybody's astro—sorry, everybody's astrology charts read for the year, and so each month I had a whole book done of like each month of like very specific to their birth date and their, you know, when they were born and. Um, and then with that, I gave them all everything that was needed, whether it be, you know, certain scents, certain crystals, something to wear. So I like kind of, it was a very caring gift. More and more Hollywood stars, despite their busy schedules, emphasize the value of quality time with family and friends. I've taken my family on some pretty cool holidays, you know, um, and, and and my mom talks about it all the time. She doesn't want things, she wants experiences. And um, we've had a ton of wonderful trips. Last year, we were in Europe on a ski trip with my kids and, and being able to, to ski with my kids and, and have an activity that we all did together with um, equal enjoyment was, was pretty special. Love, lots of love. Because if I, if I start placing a value on the things that I've given to people, then you know, somebody might feel slighted. So the best thing you can give people is love, kindness, and a little of your time. And I try to do that. My family, we, we're, we're big on trips. You know, we give each other. For me, like, I, I tend to not give gifts. I give them experiences. That's my, that's our sort of love language in my family. So I gave my, I made dad a, a golf trip to uh, Ireland. My kid doesn't want presents anymore. He wants, uh, well, for him, he only wants a um, donation to, uh, you know, whatever it is, uh, some organization for peace or for environmental issues and stuff. So depending, we pick one together, depending which year on which one we decide to pick. So usually that's the gift my son wants. I had a good friend who, had told, who told me that um, they wanted the gift of my time. So I, and I realized that I, you know, was very busy. So every month we would go to a beautiful lunch for every month for a year. 
and uh, grew closer and our friendship was strengthened and it was probably the most precious gift that I've ever been given because by her asking for that, I was, I was enhanced as well. After all, the best gifts come from the heart. Mission Impossible? No stunt seems impossible for actor Tom Cruise. He is riding a motorcycle to new heights in the new behind-the-scenes video for the upcoming Mission Impossible installment. Whatever you do, don't tell Tom Cruise to go jump off a cliff, because he will. This is far and away the most dangerous thing we've ever attempted. Yeah, yeah, bet you say that every Mission Impossible. But is he really going to drive a motorcycle? Off a mountain? Oh, yes, he did. Always wear my earplugs so I don't hear myself scream. <laughs> His fans are screaming about how insane this is. After riding the bike off a Norwegian mountain, he eventually opened his parachute. And though he nailed it on his first take, Tom didn't stop. Six times today. Cruz can add this latest stunt to hanging off a plane during takeoff. And standing atop a biplane. And don't forget scampering around the outside of the world's tallest building, not to mention rock climbing that most folks would have to have rocks in their head to attempt. For the latest Mission Impossible 7, they built a special motocross ramp for Tom to practice on. 13,000 practice jumps, say the movie makers. 500 practice skydives. At least Tom didn't break an ankle like he did when he slammed into a wall. So this is from the side. Here we go. We shot it with three cameras. Oh okay, gosh. here he goes, and boom! Tom watched the painful replay on the Graham Norton show. Now, anyone else would go, well, that's over. No. <laughs> up he gets, up he gets, and he's running. <laughs> in four decades, Cruz has gone from jumping off a coffee table in his undies to riding off a cliff. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.